This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. Rihanna, hi. Hello. Now, if you don't know, this is the podcast where we seek out the best TV entertainment for you to watch. It just saves you really valuable time because we only really talk about the good stuff. Uh, So, have we got some good stuff this week? We have. We really do, actually. Show Trial is something that has really caught my attention. The new BBC drama. Uh, There's also The Harder They Fall on Netflix. I may have mentioned that I... uh, interviewed someone pretty famous for this yes, film. Yes, you did. Yeah, that was Jay-Z. Yeah, move on. <laughs> and then also a real fan favourite with Stath Let's Flats. And speaking of fan favourites, we've got to talk Doctor Who. Have we though? Because um, the BBC <laughs> who make Doctor Who, I mean, they, they have taken secrecy to the nth degree. GCHQ, no, no bounce. I mean, think. forget GCHQ. Yeah. Try finding out about Doctor Who. The show's back on the BBC, BBC One, mm-hmm. Sunday, October the 31st. John Bishop's in it, though, isn't he? I do know that much. Yes. The jury's uh, out. I'm reserving judgment until I've watched the programme. I should also say we are going to hear later from Jodie Whittaker in conversation with the Radio Times writer Hugh Fullerton. And you have had yet another of your name-drop-worthy <laughs> showbiz encounters this week. What's happened? Sarah Snook from Succession, who plays Shiv. I got to speak to her. She was brilliant. We chatted about kangaroos and wombats because you have to if you're talking to an Australian apparently. Probably do. Yeah. So here's a little teaser of me talking to Sarah. Every character is unlikable in in lots of ways. But you know, I think everyone playing their own character like Shiv I mean I wouldn't be friends with her. But uh, <laughs> I think she's <laughs> she's 
she's got redeeming elements. I didn't actually know anything about this actress before Succession. What else has she done? She's done an American Pickle with um, Seth. Of course she has. <laughs> Seth Rogen, which is actually a really fun, sweet film. It was one of the first films I saw back in cinemas after lockdown. And uh, I had a, just a joyous time with it. Uh, also, she's in Soulmates, which was written by Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso fame. Oh, so she's got she's got form. She has got form. And she's been in some but this good is, stuff. This is her massive thing. This is her big break, I think. Right. OK, so lots to come in this week's edition of the Radio Times podcast. Anybody else famous on your personal radar this week? So while I've been off interviewing Sarah Snook and mm. Jay-Z, you've been starring in your very own BBC iPlayer series. I hardly. <laughs> um, I make a very, very brief appearance at the very beginning of episode five of the Blair Brown series of documentaries on BBC Two. It was such a thrill to hear your voice. You know, it was that sort yeah. of which I really, really liked. interested actually in what people think of that Blair Brown documentary because they're they are fascinating programs. If you were around like me and working at mm. the time um, and covering politics, it, it felt to me watching it all that it was getting. It was getting ridiculous that a load of real work couldn't be done because of this astonishing power game going on between these two big, big players. So mm -hmm. uh, tell us what you think, uh, not just about the Blair Brown years, which is on BBC iPlayer, but about anything else actually you've watched. And it doesn't have to be praise. You can tell us if you found a show, frankly, a bit disappointing, if you think something's gone on too long. I loved The North Water initially, absolutely raved about mm -hmm. it. And if I'm honest... By the end, I was sort of had enough of all of them. And Vigil is another one that I think really Vigil. kind of went absolutely weird and it off the boil. Totally and... disappeared up its own uh, periscope, I think. And are you enjoying this series of Bake Off? Um, some people like it, other people not so sure. I don't know. We, we would love to hear from you about any aspect of your telly viewing Squid Game. I think I'm not sure I'd be happy with young teenagers watching it. And I hate to sound pompous. And I hate to sound like, <laughs> oh, it's all, like, all coming over all Mary Whitehouse. But I think it's not something I'd want the very young to be exposed to. I don't think the very young need to be. I think it isn't aimed for them. It doesn't um, mean they're not watching it, though. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I, But I remember watching things like Tarantino, my, my old, much older brother showing me Tarantino when I was far too young to be watching it. And I don't feel like it scarred me. You know, I think it just it sort of opened my eyes to what cinema could be. And I think Squid Game is something that is just experimenting a lot with form, which I really like. I agree, it's definitely not for young people. Anyway, the email address at podcast at radiotimes.com. Um, you can tell us what you've loved and, frankly, what you're bored of. Um, do let us know. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Or you can tweet us at Radio Times and find us on Instagram as well there. OK, um, let's, should we plunge headlong then? Let's plunge. Into the reviews, because I'm really glad we're starting with Show Trial. It's actually, you mentioned Vigil, this is going to be the big new Sunday night blockbuster BBC One show. From the same makers. From the same makers, and it's going to get people talking this, isn't it? It starts Sunday, October the 31st, in the prime drama slot of nine o'clock. This is a drama about a missing student and the ensuing prosecution against another young woman who is brash and arrogant and nasty... I suppose an unlikable woman, very much. She is a spoilt brat. She really is. Let's have a listen. Talitha Campbell, you are now being arrested on suspicion of murder. Anything I need to know? She's a rude, entitled little cow. Got it. They haven't told you who my dad is? Sir Damien Campbell. I know you think you're untouchable, but you're not. 
Police have confirmed that they have now made two arrests. I need you to tell me exactly what happened that night. Do you believe me? The jury will hate her. I don't hate her. He's cutting your throat. Won't be decided on the evidence, but on her. Uh, if you haven't been enticed in by that clip, I hate to say it, but I think you will be by the first episode. <laughs> I've got to be totally honest. I had to ask myself, do I want to settle down to watch a drama about a missing student? And um, for me and for lots of other parents of students, it all just feels a little bit too close to home. Well, the terrible truth is, based on this episode, probably. <laughs> so who's in it and why... Did we both really like it? Um, so it has a relative newcomer, actually, uh, Celine Buckins, who plays Talitha. Also Tracy Effershaw, who plays her her solicitor. I have to say, whenever I see Sinead Keenan in something, I always think that is a sign of a good drama. I really like her as an actress. And she plays the formidable police officer in this, calling Talitha an entitled cow, whatever she just did in that clip. Um, so I first saw her in Being Human, and she was also recently in the really excellent... Uh, Irish drama about abortion called Three Families and I would really recommend watching that. I think it's still on iPlayer. Um, it's got a really great cast and actually I think Celine Buckins playing Talitha, um, she, you kind of really hate her initially for her too cool attitude. I mean she literally has a line um, saying hashtag praying for her. Oh, she's awful. And uh, she's superficially awful. Yes. But there's a real element of the poor little rich girl about her, isn't there? There really is. She kind of allows you these glimpses of her vulnerability in which it's, you know, I think that's really hard to do well, but she kind of genuinely gets us to sympathise with her ever so slightly by the end. Did you? Or was that just me? By the end of the first episode, I had begun to feel sorry for her. Yes. There are six episodes, and I, as I understand it, we're going to be taken right through the trial, which yeah. becomes, as you can imagine, a big, big story. A kind it, of circus, right? A, a real circus surrounding... Uh, there are politics and politicians and their offspring involved in this. It's set in Bristol, which is very much having a moment for... Yeah, we talked about that last ...the week, outlaws. <laughs> this is now also set in Bristol. Bristol University frankly, is full of some pretty entitled students mm -hmm. and other sorts of students as well. And there's that conflict going on. And it has elements of maybe the Amanda Knox trial as well. All of that, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I think, is something that we all recognise. Um, I think the fact that it is putting a woman front and centre rather than a man does maybe change it ever so slightly in my mind. Again, you suppose there are questions. It's very unusual for a young woman to have murdered another young woman yeah. in these circumstances. Is this the right time to be showing that most unlikely mm -hmm. set of circumstances when there have been so many conversations around male violence lately? Equally, when there has been something with male violence, yeah. I don't want to see a male no, predator. It's, it's, yeah, so it's kind of a, a bit of a rock and a hard place. Maybe we yeah. just don't want any more of these, you know, where young women are disappearing. Well, we've said and, that and we've also both said we want to watch more of it. Yes, so it's with... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's all very tricky. It is. Uh, it's very watchable. It's very well done, and it's less glossy than I was expecting it to be for a BBC drama. Except that the impossibly beautiful um, actress who plays Cleo, who is is Tracy Effichore, is just she is incredibly beautiful. She is. She is also wearing the most gorgeous clothes, <laughs> which I put to you would not necessarily be worn by the average... The duty solicitor. Duty solicitor yeah. offering legal aid. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. Sometimes television does leave reality behind, which is kind of what television is for, I guess. I really love Talitha's spiky, acid green nails, nails. as well. I, that I thought that was quite a nice nod. It's a very kind of villainous colour. Well, I mean, <laughs> really she fun. either did it 
or she didn't do it. And Great I, summation. I, thank you. And that's why I'm not in, uh, currently in the police serving as a detective. Um, are we just being set up to think she can't possibly have done it? It would be too obvious only for her to have ended up doing it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm wondering. Yeah, do let us know what you think about this and about the whole idea of us all settling down on a Sunday night to relax ahead of the working week to watch another crime drama. Um, it, it's a puzzling one. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com. But it's it's entertaining and, as we say, very watchable. It is called Show Trial. Starts BBC One, nine o'clock on Sunday, October the 31st. Uh, it's Sarah Snook time. It is. So, of course, playing Shiv in the very, very popular HBO series Succession. So right now, the first two episodes are available on Sky Atlantic and they go out weekly on Monday at nine, which is probably a good thing because otherwise people would 100% binge it and then you would sort of miss all of the nuances and subtleties that come out of this programme. So when I spoke to Sarah, I asked her why she initially said no to the role of Shiv. I wasn't sure that I was right for the role. And I guess I wasn't sure what Shiv was going to become. And in the first episode, she was, you know, the the sister sibling in the world of men. And I kind of wasn't interested in being a, a handbag character. And I wasn't sure I had faith in, in that it was going to, you know, culminate into something that was interesting and complex and uh, what Shiv ends up becoming. Once I was reassured of that, then... It was an obvious yes. As you say, it's kind of murky politics in terms of male-female balance. There's that storyline about, in this series especially, about abuse of women and the thinking is that Jerry Mm. and you should be the face of the rebuttal because you're female. So tell us a little bit about that and what we can expect. Oh, yeah. I mean, Kendall has this terrible line of, um, you know, you only matter because you're female. Your teats make all the difference, which is just like... And part of its horror is that, you know, there is a world in which that is true and mm-hmm. and oftentimes it can be our world and not just the succession Roy world. So tell me about some of the um, new additions to the cast this season. Who's your favourite? I mean, we've got Adrian Brody and Alexander Skarsgård and, and Sanaa Lathan and, and, you know, I, I actually only got to work with Sanaa and so I didn't get to see what everybody else was bringing to it. But my favourite thing about uh, succession is this wonderful actor who's able to like come in as if he's been somewhere else doing something else and then leave. And that's, I feel like, you know, the episodes that I've seen of the third season, that's what a, every new guest character brings. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a wholeness and a life to, to each of these characters that the actor uh, really fulfills. And that's partly in the writing, but also partly, of course, due to the talent that we've been able to have on the show. I think it's fair to say that some of the criticism around the show stems from the fact that there are no likeable characters. Is that (laughs) something that you agree with? And if so, why do you think that it works regardless? There are a few likeable characters, (laughs) uh, but every character is unlikable in in lots of ways. But, you know, I think everyone playing their own character, like Shiv, I mean, I wouldn't be friends with her, but uh, (laughs) I think she's... She's she's got redeeming elements, you know. What, like, what are those yeah, exactly? Does. Well, you know, like things that maybe we would like to have more of. I know I would like, you know, confidence mm-hmm. and and ability to be precise and cutting in a in a way that feels front footed and and also just like off the cuff funny. And there's all these like very unlikable traits across the board for the Roys, but. I think they're very human still and that's I think what uh, audiences get from watching there is something that is fallible about these people Mm. though they are rich and though they are unlikable. 
How do you think the new series explores the father-daughter relationship? Yeah, I think for this whole season, really, though, Shiv is 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 working out who she is and where her alliances lie and what's what's more important to her as a person and what's more important to her as a person with power. And mm. in the end, the Roys have been bred to want, gain, and sort of focus on pursue power. You know, she's sort of put into this difficult position choosing between Kendall and Logan. We see that in the first episode, which is the better horse to back. Mm-hmm. And uh, constantly that comes up again and again in this season, I think. And what kind of impact do you think that, you know, you being from Australia, having British actors, having a British creator has on a show about American capitalism? Globally, there are different countries that can be in the same mould. I think we've all been looking to America as the younger brother for a while in mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s and and getting to a point where... Uh, you know, we're maybe equalizing. And I think it's a good thing to have outside influences to get more perspective on on on, on homegrown stories. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think um, it's better to have a multitude of opinions than just one. What are some of the business lessons, do you think, we can learn from succession? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe as a woman, just always speak up, always stand in the room and know you deserve to be there. Because who says you're not meant to be there, right? Mm-hmm. For me, certainly, as a as a woman, just learning to, to stand your ground. Can you talk a bit about how Succession is filmed, that almost fly-on-the-wall style, and how that impacts the way that you act in every scene? Yeah, sure. I, it, it ends up feeling like a play. So right. we've got the camera people moving around us, boom operator moving around us, mm-hmm. and it really means that everybody has to come up to a level of... Um, precision and reality so that at any point the camera, if it swings anywhere else, props, set dressing, production design, everything has to be detailed, full and real. And it also means that us as actors have to be <laughs> very detailed and real and 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 in some way like quite relaxed and naturalistic. But there has to be, you know, you can't be going rhubarb, 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 blah, 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 in the back. You know, you have to be actually having a conversation. You have to be doubling down on what the reality is of what Shiv and Roman would be saying yeah. in this moment. Yeah, just having an opinion at all times is is what you get taught as an actor, but you don't necessarily get an opportunity to exercise. You've also worked with the internet's boyfriend, Brett Goldstein, on Soulmates. <laughs> the internet's boyfriend? Have you been watching him in Ted Lasso? I have been, yeah. And what a like amazing thing. He was doing Ted Lasso at the same time as doing Soulmates mm-hmm. and, and flying between, I mean, this was just wild before the pandemic, but able to fly between the two countries and, and writing in both and acting in and writing in the other and like just, you know, what a machine. What else have you been binging or just watching normally? I'm not judging. Um, I watched White Lotus recently. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I loved it. I would love to see a White Lotus succession crossover, like just having Armand meet (laughs) Logan would be, or Kendall actually would be a great. Yeah, or maybe just like Tom on some sort of like sabbatical by himself just turning up. I feel like they might become friends. That's a great shout and what else? There was something. I mean, I watch a little bit of Below Deck because you need to tune oh, out you sometimes. Should, yeah. And back in Australia as well, like Royal Flying Doctor Service, you know, like uh-huh. being able to watch things of like home. And then I heard that you had a wombat and kangaroos. Yeah. Tell me about your little menagerie. <laughs> Could I get more Australian? I know. Um, it's sort of, and it's a weird thing where that's not, I don't think that's usual. Like not every Australian has a wombat in their yard. And we see kangaroos every afternoon or during the day. And I hope I never get 
sick of that. I hope I never get used to that. That is something that's quite phenomenal as well, just to see this like bounding animal march through your your backyard. Um, yeah, we've got a wombat. I've seen it. We saw an echidna the other day crossing the road. Oh, wow. Uh, kookaburras and, and all sorts of uh, wildlife. It, I just... Yeah, I'm so happy to be able to help protect this little pocket so that they can all thrive and keep living and doing their thing. Sarah Snook, the new David Attenborough. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me. You're welcome. Wombat lover in real life, but unscrupulous and capable of just about anything on the telly. That was Sarah Snook talking to Rihanna about her role as Shiv in Succession. Let's go on to something that you were really excited about, Rihanna. This is The Harder They Fall. What is this? This is a new kind of Western about a man who is out for revenge when his parents get murdered in front of him as a young boy. And it is directed by James Samuel, who is a pretty new director from London, produced by Jay-Z, soundtracked by Jay-Z, has an amazing cast, Jonathan Majors, um, who I feel like people, he's not necessarily a household name yet, but he very soon will be. He's been in things like The Last Black Man in San Francisco, excellent film, Uh, Loki, he was in the last couple of episodes you can catch on Disney Plus still, and then Regina King, who is a director in her own right. She directed One Night in Miami. She was also fantastic in Watchmen. Idris Elba, (laughs) who doesn't really need a whole list of things that he's been in. And in this, he seems to spend an enormous amount of time brooding through windows. He does, yes. he He is Rufus Buck, who is the kind of big bad in this. Why don't we take a listen? Rufus Buck. Man, old devil. This is going to be Buck's last day amongst the living. What exactly he do to you? Call it a professional robbery. I know who you are. That love, the outlaw, hunts down those who trespass against him with no mercy. Where is he? Where is who? Your boss. My boss. Clearly, you don't know me. It is a spectacular looking film. I don't think we can say anything bad about how this and film looks. The no. palette is incredible. Because and it's so pacey, isn't it? It is. And it the really music along. really helps. Yes, it does, which you would expect, you know. And also, I think there are loads of collaborations in there, including with Wiz Khalifa, who is excellent. And I, I think what really stood out for me, kind of when I think back on it, is that most Westerns I very much put in the same box as being really kind of orangey, beige colours and... And actually, this is purple and pink and blue and red. And I really appreciated the amount of effort that had gone into making this stand out in a crowd. It's bold and brash. And we should say as well that, to my shame, or perhaps not shame, I'm just being honest, I hadn't seen a Western with a largely black cast No, well, that's because they don't really exist because it is mainly white men killing brown men. And so to have that flipped in this was obviously a huge, huge deal. Um, I think the trouble is that the plot feels maybe a little shallow and a little superficial. And it's also, it is the same old, same old in terms of plot. Man tries to get revenge. Yes. Well, we've all seen that one a million times before. Yeah, I agree. He kind of doesn't make enough of the brilliant actors that he's got. Idris Elba, as we said, is so charismatic. But 
He, yeah, he broods. He doesn't have a lot to do. He does doesn't he? have a huge amount to do. It's more like the threat of his presence rather than just using his presence, which is a shame. I said to you earlier that I thought the set looked a bit wobbly because it just looks like they've stuck a load of houses in the middle of the desert. And you quite gently pointed out that that is exactly what they did do. Well, I, po- I think that's <laughs> what I reckon in the West. There wasn't yeah. a huge amount else there. So they did no. have all of these kind of cheap looking facades, I imagine. But yeah, maybe I've got all of my info from films that are all built on lots. So yes. <laughs> who am I to judge? I don't okay. know. But I guess you're not coming to this for a dose of reality. You're coming to no. it for high octane escapism. And by yes. and large, that's exactly what you get. And great performances, actually. And Jonathan Majors, again, is such a phenomenal lead. And I'm really excited to see what, what he does next. You know, he's someone that I really would kind of follow his career as much as I possibly could because yeah. he's great. OK, well, I'd certainly I agree with you about the acting. Eight out of ten for that. Ten out of ten for the soundtrack mm-hmm. and probably five out of ten for the plot nice the harder they fall it's on netflix on wednesday the 3rd of november and of course beyond that date as well and um it is available in cinemas it uh, kicked off there last friday the 22nd of october So, um, Doctor Who does come back to BBC One. It's the 13th series. Ooh. <laughs> um, 6.25pm it starts on Halloween. It's very early, isn't it's it? It's called the Halloween Apocalypse, which Ooh. I'm really excited More, about. <laughs> I am keenly aware of my shocking lack of interest in Doctor Who. It, and I like sci-fi. I've mm-hmm. always loved sci-fi. Yes. This doesn't do it for me. It never did, not even when I was a kid. I hated the Daleks. And because you were so frightened of them? I was quite frightened okay. of the Daleks, yeah. There were two things I didn't like they as a did kid. Job. The Daleks and racing results. Um, for reasons <laughs> I've never understood, I used to go behind the sofa for both. Racing results. <laughs> I don't know why the racing results. Well, it's back to horse acting, I suppose. Um, so what do we know about this series, if anything? We don't really know a huge amount, but as you mentioned, uh, John Bishop, comedian John Bishop is in this and um, Bradley Walsh is out. He's gone, has he? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was actually illegal to make a show on television without, without Bradley, Bradley Walsh. Walsh. <laughs> so what have they done? Have they got around it by reinstating somebody like we always see everywhere else, like John Bishop? It's so true. She's actually laughing at my joke. That's good, a- isn't it? He's absolutely everywhere. It's incredibly annoying. So a sidekick that has managed to kind of hang on in there is Yaz from the previous uh, series. And she is excellent. I think she's so much fun. And she's... Her and Bradley Walsh's character had a really lovely conversation in one of the last episodes of the last series of Doctor Who, where he kind of says how special the Doctor is always being told that she, you know, the Doctor is amazing and and does all these phenomenal things. And he kind of says, Yaz, you do all of that without being an alien. You don't have a sonic screwdriver. You don't have a TARDIS. And yet you're still the most astonishing person I've ever met. And I have to admit, that really got me. I really welled up. And Yaz is a brilliant character. She's really well written and she's very, very brave. So I'm I'm really glad that she's carried on through. So I didn't really watch the classic series, but from the new one, the newer episodes, I love like the Weeping Angels. I love the Sontarans and they are making a comeback. So that is a huge, huge thing for me. We do know it's Jodie Whittaker's last series. Yes. Can I ask a perhaps slightly awkward question? Obviously the first female Doctor. Yeah. Has she been a success? The thing with Jodie Whittaker is that she is very sort of dippy in this and kind of a bit more spaced out. Whereas with the others, they were kind of allowed their eccentricities and lent into them. But I think that's where 
there has been like a real male female divide. They've oh, just made her a bit sort they of made her daffy. Yes, and that frustrated me because she's not. No, <laughs> and um, because the even with the other doctors, they were even when they had their weird things and their little monologues that they used to do and talking to themselves, it never came across as dippy. And it does with her. That's really interesting. Which is frustrating. Some of the potential next doctors, Russell T. Davis loves to work with the same people. So Ollie Alexander from It's a Sin and of course the band Years and Years has been like number one. That's been floated about a lot um, and it is a possibility. Lydia West, who was in It's a Sin and the TV show Years and Years. Yeah. Very confusing. It is a little. Um, But, you know, that would be a really fun thing because we also saw her in Dracula. So she definitely has potential. She's young. She's a lot of fun. I think Michaela Cole (laughs) is kind of being... Too busy, I think. I don't think she'll do it. Why would she? She doesn't need it. She really doesn't. Um, Richard Iowadi... Yeah, okay. He could he does the now, kind of quirky I can see him. Bow tie, yes, yes. He's got all that going on. Bow ties are cool. Yeah. Um Risa fans. No. <laughs> Not for me. I can't, no? I can't I can only see him in his in his wife fronts um on the step in Notting Hill. <laughs> Good actor, though. Uh, very, very good actor. Uh, Tania Miller, I think, is a really good shout. So she was also, she played Lydia's mother in Years and Years. Oh, yes. She's yeah. already been in Doctor Who as a Time Lord. Um, so I don't know whether they'll be able to do that. But... Oh, don't ask me. <laughs> it was rhetorical, don't worry. <laughs> I think that she would be a really exciting addition. We so saw her I... in The Haunting of Blind Manor and that was... So you're actually seriously suggesting that it could be another, I know it sounds absurd, but another female doctor. I mean, why not? Well, of course, why not? But we know why not. Yes, Because people tend to go, oh my God, critical correctness gone mad. But Russell T. Davis is, he doesn't listen to people like that. He just does what he, he wants. He just does what he wants and he does it very okay. well. Do you think then the show really needs Russell T. Davis to come back? He was the guy who came came on board for the revival. Yes. And then he went away, but now he's back. And now he's back. Now he's back and he well, he will be after this next series because Chris Chibnall is still doing it. Um and he's finally managed to pass the baton back to Russell T Davis. So, I think it, there will be maybe a resurgence of people who have dipped out. They'll come back in to see what Russell does. Again, I think it's more about the writing than the acting. We're talking about Jodie Whittaker as though she isn't the Doctor. She is the current Doctor, very much so. And you can hear her now in conversation with the Radio Times writer Hugh Fullerton. Um, Hugh asked Jodie, how long will she feel like she's still the Doctor? That's a really interesting question. I've not thought about it in those terms before, I suppose. Really, I will be the Doctor until... I am no longer on screen as a doctor, I suppose, but and like on a realistic sense, but I think emotionally it will feel particularly because filming is such a pleasure. And that is, that's, that is the part about it that makes it, you know, the best job in the world is the being on set and getting to be the doctor. And I think that when it is my last day of shooting, that will certainly feel as if a huge part of my life, I suppose that chapter will be closing. But yeah, you're right. Like as far as I suppose being the doctor, I get to drag that out for as long as they put the episodes on for. So I'll be still dining out on it, love. (laughs) We have always been aware of how ace it is. Yeah. And so there isn't, I, I don't have that sense of, oh man, I wish, you know, that I didn't ever think that, the the best was yet to come. I was I felt like I was 
I've been in the moment of it always because I've loved it so much. And we've had so many times on set over the different seasons where we've chatted about how brilliant it is or how much fun we're having. And just that knowing that when it's done, we know we were present Mm, as much as you can be in the chaos. And it is, you know, it's, it's a mad whirlwind. Any film set is, but this is particularly, (laughs) this is particularly mad. You're always someone's doctor and what a wonderful thing and what a a thing to treasure forever. So I can dine out on this forever. I mean, you mentioned Mandip there. Um, Obviously you said you and Chris had this plan to leave after three series from the start. Did you at some point have to kind of break it to Mandip that you were leaving and was it kind of an emotional moment? There's part of me that could absolutely say, no, let's just do it, no, let's go back on it. But then actually you to make this show and to commit to this show and to give the fans the the level that they deserve it it's like you you make that there has to be some sacrifice in it mm. and you have to you have to know when you've done it and i think it feels as if i knew i know obviously what the storylines are i knew what challenges chris were going to lay ahead in a brilliant way and as an actor and i just felt like this was a real high so i'd be staying for so many right reasons, but then also just to kind of cling on to something for myself, whereas actually what I'm being given is wonderful. And, but yeah, I think me and Mandit will kind of, you know, be, we're very much the idea. I, I mean, I burst into tears about everything all the time. I'm so pathetic. Um, she's not much of a crier though, you see. So mm. I am like, you better cry on the last day. <laughs> <laughs> And if she doesn't, there'll be words. But I do feel like we we have been through this from the beginning to the end together, and it feels incredibly special being side by side in that way. But we were very lucky because we got John Bishop, and he has yes. been amazing, absolutely brilliant. It's been from early. He, he's ace, isn't he? Yeah, he's so nice. Yeah, he's so nice. I think it's weird as well with people like that because, like, when people are famous, obviously, when I'd done Broadchurch, a lot of people met me and couldn't believe I didn't have a West Country accent. Yeah, you know? so it's like there's that kind of you can slightly until you know part like this no one no no one's under any illusion what what I sound like really but you know in that sense there's always bits of yourself that you don't know but I suppose when you have somebody who is in their comedy in their documentaries is so open and so out there you just you're like are they going to be that nice though (laughs) surely it's an act and it isn't he's a wonderful hilarious open-hearted very generous like person to be on set and he came in with so much energy so much enthusiasm and it was a it was so funny lots of times because you'd just be like like really take well you know we'd be we'd be totally used to the fact that there'd be like prosthetics and you know sfx going you know a few kind of explosions down a corridor and he'd be like wow i mean madness isn't it you're like yeah it is when you stand on the outside and look in it's mad. <laughs> but we just, you know, you're kind of just in the middle of it all and you're like, no, when you see it from someone else's perspective. So he's kind of perfect for his character because his character is completely out of his depth. And so, you know, in that way, like John was just like kind of rabbit in headlights in a brilliant childlike way. You mentioned that um, this is obviously a serialised uh, story. Um, yeah. How is that kind of different to what we get normally? Is it a lot of cliffhangers and things like that? Obviously, for, as you know, for Whovians, the there's been you know, in, in different different tenures, there's old versions, there's serialization, there's one-off episodes, standalone. Like, I, I know the entire story, but if you were to say to me now, 
So in episode five, I'm like, whoa. To me, I've got the tapestry of the entire thing in my head. And I cannot wait now to see it episodically because I cannot, I can't, I can't get my head around where the breaks are and the, and it's just, so it's, it's had this rolling momentum in a really exciting way. And it's meant that beats that we've maybe have like hinted at or moments or challenges for the doctor, they might take three episodes to readdress, but they're going to be addressed. But the, but the, but it, it's meant we've we've still done that very exciting thing that you do with Doctor Who where you go to different time periods, you have different monsters, you have new, you have old. But with it, there's been a kind of collection of characters mm-hmm. and a and a, a bubbling of a star of the storylines and 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 questions for the doctor that whether they get answered or not, they the 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 building of it has felt like kind of like a slow pan on a hob you know throughout and it's been so much fun to shoot because it's been months you know we're nearly at 12 months 12 months that's a serious commitment that is and Jodie Whittaker is on the cover of this week's Radio Times um, and the headline is Doctor Who exclusive Time's Up um, that's Jodie and also in this week's edition of the Radio Times you've got Lenny Henry and Joanna Lumley and Ricky Gervais if there's someone you would genuinely love to see in the role and then please do let us know podcast at radiotimes.com because there are so many people um, who really it's more than dedication to this show, isn't it? It's it's a very special relationship between those people who love Doctor Who mm-hmm. and the razzmatazz around the programme itself. I don't pretend to understand it, but you have to respect that kind of dedication. <laughs> no, you really do. But think about it. It's so There is so much escapism in Doctor Who, but there's also so much heart and it is all about teamwork and family and I think that appeals to the masses. Yeah, I think it also appeals to people who don't always see themselves represented on television. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I mean about there being a uniqueness, yes. I guess, about the very, very passionate loyalty yeah. some people feel to this brand. Yeah. And um, like I say, I'm not completely on board with it myself. I've never <laughs> hopped on board the TARDIS wholeheartedly, but I can appreciate how much it means to other people. So Doctor Who is back on BBC One, appropriately, on Halloween. That's Sunday the 31st of October at 25 past six. Right back down on planet. Earth. We've got a Channel 4 classic comedy offering. It is back for another series and you can catch episode 2 on Tuesday the 2nd of November at a quarter past 10 and you'll find uh, the first episode already online on all four. Um, it's Stath, Let's, Flats. Well done. Thank you. You didn't mess it up. Well, <laughs> I have in the previous 27 attempts to say it. Uh, what is Stath, Let's, Flats. <laughs> uh, it's created and written by Jamie Dimitriou, who also stars as the eponymous Staff, who is a totally useless estate agent who works for his dad's firm. And he's actually really kind-hearted and he has a lovely relationship with his sister Sophie, who's played by his real-life sister, Natasha Dimitriou. Uh, so in this new series, the third series, they've lost their office. So they're all working from their dad's house. Staff is amazingly about to become a father that worried me slightly yes after a one night stand with a colleague and Sophie and Al who is another estate agent are trying to figure out how to tell each other they love each other so this bit you're about to hear is Vassos the patriarch the owner of the business holding a meeting um, where if you're speaking you have to hold a plate of fish yeah well I mean what's unusual about that I want a very quiet conversation you can only talk 
if you're holding my fish. Can I say I'm sorry very to everyone in my bedroom? Oh, it's okay. I'm too sorry I gave Julian the business and he spent all the money. And I'm too sorry we lost the office and now my stairs is an office. But I make mistakes because I'm old and my brain is going like a rock. Is there any quiet and sweet questions? Thank you. That's, that's fish. Oh, do you ask you? Yeah, 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 the whole fish, yeah. Um, uh, is it okay to ask if we're likely to be paid in the coming months? Okay. I cannot pay any money to anyone until we find landlords and free office. Huh? What, actually? No pay? Uh, you don't like this? Oh, I definitely quit. Definitely. Imagine if I didn't quit. No money. You think I'm having a meeting with a fish for jokes? I know this is a show much beloved of, let's be honest, slightly hungover young people. <laughs> uh, apparently, Do I count? Am I still in that category? I think you are, very right. firmly, don't worry. Um, it seems to make sense to them. I did laugh, but sometimes I wondered whether I should be laughing at the antics, particularly of Stath himself, who is quite a bewildered chap, isn't he? <laughs> he... Has no idea what's going on. He's an estate agent who doesn't know what a landlord is. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. And certainly is no use to the woman about to have his baby. No, he isn't. What really makes me laugh is that they're still showing people around really awful, dilapidated places to rent, which I think might be a bit too close to home for some people. Do you know what? I was about to say that, and it felt... I thought, is this going to be po-faced if I mention it? But you try finding a place to live at the moment. I mean, particularly in London, anywhere affordable. Yeah. I mean, you'd be lucky. Yes, which is why I think it's so funny because people are like, we've, this is a comedy, but we have literally had experiences with, with estate agents trying to sell us this yeah. piece of rubbish yes. flat. So I, that's what I mean. I think it's going to really, re- that really resonates with people who are watching it. It's definitely that sort of in-between student and first homeowners that that it's that target audience i love the whole idea of siblings working together as we see here um in this country you've got the coopers yeah. daisy may and charlie mm-hmm. working together um this is a whole new thing isn't it didn't used to happen i think it's very good yeah i mean it makes a change from married couples doing it yeah. actually which is kind of like a, quite a big thing in the film industry so yeah maybe yeah. tv is where the siblings are at i think that makes a lot more sense with those sorts of sitcoms which are very family orientated mm. they are kind of working with what they know sure but it yeah. works brilliantly because because they know it because they know each other because they have this network of comedians and actors that they work with again and again if you watch ghosts on the BBC there are an an awful lot of actors who kind of cross over between this and ghosts of course was created by the horrible histories team which is the same kind of comedy but just for a little bit of a younger audience and they are incredibly good shows they're great so this is what's so brilliant about generations you can sort of like grow up with the horrible histories get onto ghosts get onto Stathlet's flats you've got this whole spectrum of British comedy awaiting you. taking you you right through primary, secondary (laughs) and on to your hungover days at uni. All thanks to this wonderful bunch of creative people. Um, And if you've never explored Stath Let's Flats and you think, I wouldn't find it funny, I venture to suggest you might find it funny, but I would start at the beginning with this. Yeah, I absolutely would. 
Now it's time for What We Watched, the part of the show where you have to guess which year I have on this little bit of paper in front of me from these clues of what was on TV in that year. So you did really well last week. I've been doing well You were only a year off last week. Let's see if I can keep up my record of nearly being right. You're pretty overconfident, sure. So the, the UK version of Pop Idol made its debut on ITV1 in this year. So just a reminder that Will Young won the first season with Gareth Gates coming second. Did you vote before we listened to the clip? I neither voted nor watched, oh. but I have become over the years a bit of a fan of Mr Young. You. Yeah, I've got a lot of his stuff and I really I really rate him. Excellent. Mm. Well, this is a little reminder of how the first ever Pop Idol show sounded. Okay. Hello and welcome to Pop Idol, the show that's on a mission to find the nation's next musical megastar. That's right, out there someone very special, someone with an incredible singing voice will go on to be the next big thing. Yes, this is the Excel Centre in London's Docklands where hordes of hopefuls descended earlier on in the year for the southeast leg of our auditions. The dreaded auditions we've been all around the country taking 10,000 people and made them sing in front of a panel of special judges. God, they sound a little bit rough and ready around the edges, don't they, they actually, Ant and Dec? They actually do. Yeah. Uh, I almost prefer them like that. A bit, well, you know, <laughs> Less polished. A bit more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. Okay. Next clue. The second clue is a little bit of a roundabout one, because this is the year where BBC bought the broadcast rights to films like A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2. So they made their British TV debut, but it wasn't the year that the films were made. Oh, terrific. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's when everybody they first... remembers where they were when, <laughs> when the they BBC first saw <laughs> Toy Story 2 on BBC One. Here's a reminder of how that film sounds, though. Hey, you guys. Come with me. What? Andy will play with all of us. I know it. Woody, I, I, I don't know. I... Wouldn't you give anything just to have one more day with Emily? Come on, Jesse. This is what it's all about. To make a child happy. And you know it. Bullseye, are you with me? Good boy. I mean, we were talking about horsey acting earlier. Bullseye does excellent acting in this. I mean, he must... Surely he got an Oscar. <laughs> um, any idea yet? Uh, this is a struggle this week. I think you're making these clues a pretty <laughs> Well, you were so cocky, Jane. I thought you'd nail this. Far from cocky. Um, okay, this is a good one. The first ever Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, opened this year. Here's a clip where Maggie Smith, a.k.a. Professor McGonagall, who I have already compared you to... Thanks a million. Hands out a detention to Harry, Hermione, Ron and Malfoy. I don't think Maggie would be that chuffed either. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Nothing, I repeat, nothing gives a student the right to walk about the school at night. Therefore, as punishment for your actions, 50 points will be taken. 50? Each. And to ensure it doesn't happen again, all four of you will receive detention. Excuse me, Professor. Perhaps I heard you wrong. I thought you said the four of us. No, you heard me correctly, Mr Malfoy. You see, honourable as your intentions were, you too were out of bed after hours. You will join your classmates in detention. Oh, God, I would hate to get on the wrong side of Maggie Smith. I don't think it would be a good idea. 
So, other notable events in this year include the Netherlands becoming the first country in the world to make same-sex marriage legal. Right. And it was also in this year that Wiki launched, which meant that students no longer had to work. Yeah, it was, it, and journalists as well. Oh, gosh, this is easily the hardest one I've ever had because I'm not a Harry Potter person. Are you a Toy Story 2 person? More of a Toy Story <laughs> 3 person. Not was, a Pop Idol fan. And, as I say, wasn't watching Pop Idol. Oh, though, tricky. Um, I'm going to say... 2004. Oh, way off. 2001. Way off. It's three years yeah, off. way off. <laughs> okay, 2001, really? Yes, it was. Early 2000s, you know, it, was, it kind of launched the however many Harry Potter films then came out, eight. I think in Miriam Margulies book, she talks about being in the Harry Potter films yes. with Maggie Smith. Professor Sprout. Yeah, yeah. she's Professor Pr- Sprout. Okay, and I mean, they both, neither of them really had a clue what was going <laughs> I don't on. I think so. But they enjoyed doing it, and I suspect they were handsomely rewarded. I'm sure they were. Um, and I know they've brought great pleasure to millions, I should say, so I need to be very careful. But the young Rihanna, presumably you trotted off to see that film, did you? I did, yeah. I mean, I was, I think, a budding film critic even then because I remember being so appalled by the acting of the younger generation. Oh, the younger generation. Oh, not the... I mean, yeah. yeah we don't want to hear from Maggie's people after this. Um, OK, so I got the year hopelessly wrong, but thank you very much for the whole quiz. I enjoyed playing it, she said, through gritted teeth. Next week on the podcast and indeed in the Radio Times Nadia Hussain she's back on the BBC with a new cookery show called Fast Flavours and I've already talked to her actually such an interesting woman I think Nadia is always a very good interviewee she's thoughtful Mm. um, and she's just very giving and I I think she's a brilliant person actually she's a pleasure to watch always she is you'll hear more about that on this podcast and indeed in next week's edition of the Radio Times this week's has Jodie Whittaker and Doctor Who on the cover enjoy if you want a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've discussed today then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast do follow and join us every week the Radio Times podcast is produced by something else for Immediate Media. Have a good week. Bye.